And we've been talking about this for many months now. And as I came to it this morning, there's one last passage in 4 before we move into 5. In 5, he drops suffering and he deals with some other stuff in church leadership and his greetings. And so there was one more passage today that I'm looking at on suffering. And part of me was like, oh... I don't know, I'm afraid they're tired of hearing about suffering. They're probably ready to hear about something else. Uh, and then tragedy struck in our city. You know, and then once again, we, we, we are reminded where worldwide Islamic terrorism uh, comes home. And so for me, as I've been looking at this text and thinking about the week that we've had, and, and who we are as a church and what it looks like to respond in the midst of this. And to be honest, I've been struggling all week. And part of me is, is just like everybody else, grieving, you know, that Chattanooga has entered into this. And then part of me is, is wrestling with what does it mean to be the church of Jesus Christ in the midst of something like this? What does it look like to raise a distinct Christ-like biblical voice in the midst of it? And I'm not sure we're getting it right. And I wrestle with it, and I'm not sure. I'm not even going to tell you what the answer is, but I am going to walk us through a text where really it's a summary. Peter's been talking about suffering to the church and, and, and encouraging the church and telling us how to respond and to live and what kind of people we ought to be and what kind of attitude we ought to adopt. And then in this text, it's really a summary of the things that he's been saying. So I, really, I have seven points this morning. Hopefully I'm going to work through them quickly, but they're, they're really summary points of things that he has been saving and I th- saying, and I think they're things that we need to try to hear and to wrestle with. Sometimes I think our response to the world follows dirt, certain party lines or certain voices we hear in the culture and in the community, and, and we all start to sound alike, and I really do believe our voice should be real distinct and unique in this. We're in 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 19. Peter writes to the church. He writes to you and I. And he says, Beloved, (laughs) do not be surprised by the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. That you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. And if you are insulted for the name of Christ, if you are murdered and martyred for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, as a Christ one, as a follower of Christ, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, brothers and sisters, beloved, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to their faithful Creator and keep on doing good. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we come this morning as a needy people in the midst of a needy community. 
People who need wisdom, people who need grace, people who need strength, people who need clarity, biblical, godly clarity, people who who need and long to be full of the Spirit so that we might be the fragrance of Christ to a world that suffers and needs hope, needs gospel, needs Jesus. In whose name we ask and pray, amen. So, running through the passage, seven things that Peter, in his summary of suffering and speaking to the church, trying to make sense of suffering as he speaks to a people, again, we, we have to see that Peter's situation is worse than ours. And we live in a time where our suffering as Americans is intensifying. We've been used to not having to suffer, while most of the rest of the world does suffer. We have been in a bubble of prosperity, a bubble of comfort, a bubble of safety, which is a marvelous thing, don't get me wrong. I am, we love it. On the other hand, the world suffers. And as I read my Bible, it seems to me it's going to get worse before it gets better. He speaks to the church. They were in, they were in a Roman empire under Roman military rule, despised by Jews and Gentiles alike, marginalized on the edge of society, suffering because they were maligned verbally and physically and legally as their rights were taken away and they were... And Peter says things like, Beloved, don't be surprised at it. The fiery trial, right? So first of all, he would say, in a sense, suffering is normal. And he says, don't be surprised. If you're going to be the church of Christ in this world, Paul says, if you seek to live a godly life in Christ, you will be persecuted. It will happen. Don't be surprised by it. In that sense, it's normal. Suffering is painful by definition. By Our experience of it is worse if we don't have a theology for it. That makes sense? You know, when we suffer, it, it's painful it is by definition. But what's worse in our suffering is if we really don't have a theology to understand it, if we really don't have a theology to frame it and put it in perspective, if we can't do that, the suffering is that much worse. See, we enter, when we enter into the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear evil. If we don't know that God is with us and that God is sovereign and that God is good and that He is still Lord over all things. Right? Yea, though we walk through the valley of death, we will not fear evil. If we know that God is with us and God is God and that He is marching this world toward its God-appointed conclusion when the skies will be rolled back like a scroll and history as we know it will end. And that is when we get a new heaven and a new earth. And that is when every tear will be wiped away. And that is the time when we will be delivered from all these things. But in this life and until Jesus comes again, suffering is part of God's will. Peter's writing to give us this framework to inform us and to strengthen our faith as God's people in the midst of the fire. So we need to not be surprised. It's not strange. It's expected. In Luke 24.6, it's there under your first point in the bulletin. Jesus says, it, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter into His glory? 
Is it not that this was the way of Christ, the way of Messiah? And then Jesus says things, even as He's leaving in this world, you will have trouble. You're going to follow in my footsteps. Like they persecuted the prophets before you, like they hated me before you, they're going to hate you and they're going to persecute you too. In this world, you will have trouble. Don't be surprised by it, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Philippians 1.29, it says this. Paul is writing again to the church of Philippi. He has been suffering, Paul has, in standing for the gospel, preaching the gospel to the world. And he says this, it has been granted to you, church of Jesus Christ, for the sake of Christ your Savior, that you should not only get the privilege of believing in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. It's an amazing statement as Paul writes and he says that word, he says it's been granted to you. It means to give freely or to give graciously or to even grant as a favor. So when he says it's, it's been granted to you, church, almost as a favor, as a boon uh, for you, not only to believe in Christ who suffered and raised to glory, but also to suffer for His sake. Now this is... This is something that is hard for us, I think, as a church. If I was preaching almost anywhere in Africa, if I was preaching almost anywhere in Asia, if I was preaching almost anywhere before a certain point of history, if I was preaching in almost any part of the world, it would be very easy for the church to get this idea and to understand that we will suffer for Christ. Because our gospel is not popular. Our Savior is not popular. There are those who will bow the knee and trust Him and He is building His church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. But there are those who will hate Him. Those who hate Him, they crucified Him. And He says, and it's been granted to you not only to believe, but also to join Him. And so, we know John, 1 John 5.19 there in your bulletin too, we know that we are from God. That He has pulled us from the world and He has made us a people. But that the world lies in the power of the evil one. And so it can and will be ugly at times. Jesus' road to glory was through suffering. And we follow Jesus. And it is the shallow and almost heretical preachers of the day who tell us it will be otherwise for us. Who preach a comfort and a prosperity when the Scripture, it's very hard to find it. It says it's been granted to you to suffer. The world lies in the power of the evil one. And we're going to look at text after text. 2 Timothy 2.3, it's there in your bulletin. Paul writes to, to Timothy as the leader of the church and he says, share in suffering as a good soldier for Jesus. Like this is normal Christian living. That we have been spared for a long time but that we should not be surprised if and when it comes. It is our calling. It has been granted to us. It is the way of Jesus and the way of the cross. Suffering, then glory. So it tests us and it shapes us. That's the second thing he says, right? He says, don't be surprised when the trial comes on you. It comes on you, he says, to test you. Right? And we've already seen this. It, <laughs> the fires of suffering, which comes in all shapes, forms, and sizes. But those fires test us and shape us. And we've talked about this before. The fires that we will experience in this world, whether it's natural calamity, disease, earthquake, suffering of all kinds of Islamic terrorists, of those who hate 
Christ and who hate His ways and who hate His Word. All the suffering that we endure, these are not when we suffer it. According to the Bible, we will not be exempt from it. We live in a world that will experience all of this, but we will not be exempt. We get cancer at the same rate as everybody else. When a tsunami hits a coastline, it's not only the non-believers who go with it, believers are swept away. Right? We live in a world where we are not exempt. Usually what sets a Christian apart from the world is not our exemption from suffering, but the way we respond to suffering as a people of hope and a people of gospel, a people who understand the times, who understand the world that we live in, understanding our hope is not here and our hope is there, who are not surprised by our happening, but who can in the midst of it be God's people. And Peter's going to speak to what does that look like. But we know that these fires, and for us as His people, are not the fires of judgment but fires that test us and that purify us and that shape us because in the midst of it, He is with us. And He has purposes for them. We remember in chapter 1, Peter used the image of the crucible, you know, that, that, that bowl in which they can endure the fire that you put gold and other metals in to melt it, to melt it so the dross will rise so that we would be exposed and so that God can clean off. And even in this, even in this suffering, as we stand in the community who suffers, our dross rises to the top. And there are a couple things that need to be happening. And as a people of God, one of the things that we know is that we always, we say, be careful lest we too stumble. And in the midst of it, we should be those who are able to step back and see our own dross, see our own weakness, see our own fear, see our own sin in the midst of it. And see it as a time for God to be purifying His church. Purifying us. It's a time of testing. When all is stripped away, when we are exposed we're tempted to anger. We're tempted to fear. We're tempted to bigotry. We're tempted to all kinds of, of things as the world and the people are, around us are afraid. What unique thing do we bring to the table? What power do we have as the church to stand in the midst of it and to speak to the world? Are we softened and melted like gold that it can give us new shape? to form us into a beautiful thing in the midst of ugliness. James writes to the church and he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds because you know that the testing of your faith will reshape you because you know that the testing of fire will mold you. You know that the testing of your faith will make something new out of you if you will bend the knee to Christ in it. He says, the testing of your faith will produce a steadfastness. And this must have its full effect that we might be complete and mature. Right? And so as we go through things, one of the things I'm always wanting to ask myself, is this maturing me as a believer? Do I, am I looking more like Jesus because of the things that I suffer or the things that my community suffers? Do I sound more like Jesus? Do I look more like Jesus? Am I saying Jesus-like things? Because the testing of our faith is meant to mature us, to create character, Christ-likeness. It shouldn't make us bitter and angry and scared and all those things which, which steal and rob us of joy and hope and endurance and steadfastness and Christ-likeness. Hebrews 12, 11, Hebrews 12, Paul, the, the writer of Hebrews, might be Paul, uh, says, he, he speaks about suffering, begins with Christ running His, fixing our eyes on Jesus who ran His race. And he gets into verse 11, he says this, it's under two in your bulletin. He said, for at the moment, all discipline is painful. It's not pleasant. 
And yet, it will real yield a peaceful harvest of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And this is one of those verses that has stuck with me for year, many years. That last phrase, for those who have been trained by it. In other words, you can suffer and get bitter and more worldly and more away from who Jesus is and how Jesus does suffering and how Jesus does gospel and how He does grace and how He witnesses into the world. And for those, He says, there is a harvest of righteousness if we know how to suffer and are trained and shaped by it into a Christ-like maturity. And so he says, he goes in a way that is hard to understand, just like James, who said, consider it pure joy. My brothers. Peter says, verse 13, after he says, you know, it comes as a testing on you, so it's not strange. It's, and he says, so rejoice insofar as you share in the sufferings of Christ, that you may know and also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. And in some ways, this is so different, so counter-cultural, so counter-anything we hear anywhere else. And I don't know, sometimes I think if we sit more at the feet of these men, more at the feet of what they're saying, these men are suffering, and they're speaking out of it, and what they're saying to me, and what I think they're saying to us, is not what I hear so often us saying to the world and to anybody who will listen. He says we should rejoice that we share in the sufferings of Christ and rejoice and be glad knowing that, when his, that if we suffer with Him on the day that He is revealed in His glory, He suffered and was raised. And He says when we suffer with Him, we have the hope of His glory. He says we share in the sufferings of Christ. Not in the sense of redemptive. You know, Jesus is the only one who could pay the debt for our sins in His suffering, which is what He did. His suffering was redemptive. But He says there's a very real sense then, those who have put their faith in Christ have been linked to Him and joined to Him in such a way that when we suffer for His name, that we share His suffering because we bear His name. We're linked. When Paul was Saul and was persecuting the church, and Jesus waylays him on the road to Damascus, Jesus' question of Saul was not, Saul, why are you persecuting Christians? What did he say? Why are you persecuting me? See, for Jesus it was very personal. When his church suffers. And he says, but that changes everything. That defines us. Right? It defines us that Jesus is suffering in our suffering when we suffer as His people. Right? And so it defines the way we suffer. We're linked to Him and His suffering. Right? He says, in as much as we share in His sufferings. 
And so Hebrews chapter 12 again, where I said it's, the whole chapter is about suffering, and it starts with Jesus. It's in your bulletin under the third point. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is very similar to what Peter has been saying, right? Jesus suffered, and now he sits at the right hand of God in power and glory. And the next thing that the writer says is this, consider him who endured for sinners such hostility. You feel like you're suffering hostility? from people who hate Christ, Christian values who are ensconced in the West, right? Islam, Islamic terrorists and people who, you know, this one, Jesus suffered hostility against Himself so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. Right? Consider Him who went before us. It's not a strange thing. It is part and parcel of being a people of, of strangers in the midst of a world in rebellion against its God. And in rejection of its Savior. That is the world we live in. Even in America. A world that is in rebellion against their God. And who is in rejection of the Savior. And who are not living lives that please Him. And in the midst of it. Sparks will fly. Clowney says our willingness to suffer for the sake of Christ. Is grounded in the wonder of Christ's willingness to suffer death for our sake. Romans 8.17 says, if we're children, then we're heirs of God and we're fellow heirs with Christ, provided, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. What, what I want to just keep bringing home, I think because for us, suffering is so shocking. For us, su- suffering is, so, is an anomaly. You know, for us to be, to be marginalized or to be hunted or to be, you know, is so strange. But in the, in the, in the world of the New Testament, It says you will suffer. You will have trouble. You will be persecuted. Jesus went before you. He did. The prophets did. Everybody else did. Right? You know, as a good soldier for Jesus, suffer. You know, if you're a fellow heir with Christ, you've got to suffer with Him if you want to share His glory. That is part of what it means to be His people in the world. And I wanted to begin to shape then our perspective that we would not be surprised and we would begin in a sense to gather up our identity, our connection with Christ and His suffering, what He went through in this world, but then also with who He is and how He suffered. If we suffer with Him, we will be glorified with Him. We are sorrowful and always rejoicing because we know Christ wins. He will return. And so, there's blessing in it. As he speaks to their suffering, he tells them it's a fiery trial, so it's, it's serious business. He doesn't want to diminish the pain of it. He says, but rejoice in so far that you share the sufferings of Christ. Rejoice and be glad knowing that when His glory is revealed, we too will share in that glory and that joy. And if you are insulted for the name of Christ, Or worse, he says, you are blessed. Really? Blessed? You are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Because you will not be exempted from suffering, but His glory and His Spirit will rest on you. In other words, we will go through it. We pass through the valley of the shadow of death. But we fear no evil because He is with us. The Spirit of His glory and of His presence abides with us. And so we can go through the valley. We do go through the valley. We will go through the valley. One way, shape, or form. If not else, until we 
die. And we will go through that valley sooner or later. But there's a blessing in it. Matthew 5, Jesus says under your fourth point, blessed are, those, are, are you when those others revile you. Right? And all those blessed things that Jesus says that we as His people are blessed in the midst of. When they revile you, when they persecute you, when they are uttering those evils against you on my account, rejoice and be glad. Right? That's where Paul, Paul gets it. That's where Peter gets it. That's where James gets it. Consider it pure joy. You know, rejoice in here. They got it from Jesus. Rejoice and be glad. Your reward in heaven is great. Your hope, your hope, your hope is not that you will not suffer now. Your hope is not that the world will be nice to you. The hope is not that we can get the world tamed and we can get them to do certain things. Our hope, as Jesus says it in every single biblical writer says it, our hope is that our reward is great and when Jesus is revealed, we will share His glory because we walked with Him in this life and we suffered like His people. And we were His and we were like Him and the Spirit of God and of glory rests on us. And so he says, make sure though you suffer for the right reasons. In verses 15 and 16, he says, let, of you, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer, which is basically a sinner doing anything wrong, any bad attitude, or as, any, or as a meddler, someone who sticks his nose in in the wrong place in the wrong way at the wrong time. Right? Don't suffer as one of those. Make sure you suffer for the right reason. In other words, make sure you don't deserve it. That it's not because of your own sin that you're suffering a backlash or that it comes upon you, which is that it's not uncommon for Christians to act in unchristian ways. For us to be mean or rude or prejudiced or judgmental or obnoxious or arrogant or self-righteous, and the list goes on. And you've seen it. You've seen it around us. We've seen it in ourselves. He says, make sure if we suffer, let us suffer for the Gospel. Let us suffer as, as those who are representing Christ well that the world would be ashamed and we would have no reason to be ashamed. Right? He says, so verse 16 then, if anyone suffers as a Christian, you have no need for shame, but let him glorify God in that name. If you're suffered because of the name you bear, you still bear it when you suffer. So how we suffer is a great part of our witness. Do we suffer as people as hope? Do we suffer with people of great inner strength and power because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon us? Do we suffer with people whose fragrance of sweetness and gospel and grace doesn't diminish and disappear when we're in pain? Are we a people that have roots that sink down into somewhere? Right? Who are we when we suffer? Right? When we suffer in that name, it is a great part of our witness. Acts chapter 5, it says it. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. That the reproach of Christ would fall on us because we bear His name. And so in 2 Timothy 1, it says, God gave us a spirit. We all know this verse. Not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. We all know that verse. Do you know the verse that comes next? The context, the reason Paul says that? Right? Of power and of love and in self-control. Therefore, don't be ashamed about the testimony of the Lord or me of His prisoner. I am imprisoned in a, in, a, in a hostile, alien country suffering imprisonment for the name of Jesus. He says, rather, you, church, share in the suffering 
for the gospel by the power of God. That's why we have this spirit of power and of love and of self-control is so that we can suffer as gospel people. I'm wrestling with exactly what does that look like right now. Right now. As Americans, having the history we have in the world that suffers so much more than we do, of this place in history and, and all of it coming together. And I know we wrestle as Americans about these things. And, and somewhere in here, I think there is a word to us. And the sixth thing he says as we push toward the end here is this. The judgment, he says, begins with us. He writes to the suffering church and he says, My friends, beloved, beloved, it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. It's time for humility. It, right? it is time to take a hard look at ourselves. To begin with the household of God, with God's people. He says if it begins with us. It begins with us. The fire touches us in this world. It is both God's judgment and His mercy that we are being sanctified, right? So those fires come and they're a fire of purging. And of, in other words, He creates a church and He says, but I'm going to purge my church, right? I'm going to do a work in my church, a fiery church, a fiery work to purge my church of sin, to purge my church of self-righteousness, to purge my church of, its, of all the things that we ourselves. You know, they say when the culture go, takes a nosedive, the church is right behind it. You know, we always like stand just a little above the world so we can look down on it. But we're not that much above the world. And when it's going down, often we are following. And there is a strong place. You look at Daniel when, when Israel was being judged or Isaiah and Israel was coming under judgment. You remember Isaiah chapter 6. You read Isaiah 1 to 5 in the indictments against Israel, God's people. And, they, and God was going to punish them and they were being invaded. When the nation is being punished and judged, Isaiah stands in the presence of God like we do this morning. And what does he say? It's instructive. There's not a self-righteous rant it says he falls on his face and he says I am a man of unclean lips and I live in the midst of a nation of unclean lips I am undone God have mercy on us all because we all stand before this same God and judgment begins with the house of God. It begins with God's people. God's grace will continue to confront us, but I think it's a time for the church to step back. You know what? We are guilty of so much. We are guilty of a worldliness. We are guilty of pursuing our own kingdom and not the kingdom of God first and foremost. You know, we are guilty of self-righteousness. We're guilty of pettiness. We're guilty of laziness. We're guilty of gluttony. We're guilty of, of lust and anger. We're guilty of so many things. We stand not on a high hill, but on our faces at the foot of the cross. And it is a time for us to say, God, who are we to be in the midst of all of this? As the fire falls, who are we? Revive your church and begin with me. 
Let judgment begin with me. Drop me to my face in your presence and purge me of my sin. Teach me what it means to be like these men. To walk under fire. And be the sweet fragrance of Christ and of the gospel in the world. It says, entrust yourselves, therefore... (laughs) You, as you suffer according to God's will, and for a lot of us, I mean, you've heard that gospel that says you're not, not only, you know, prosperity is God's will, health is God's will, all comfort is God's will, the American dream is God's will, but according to Peter, often suffering is God's will. The church has experienced it through the ages, and so therefore, as we suffer according to God's will, we should entrust our souls to give as a deposit for that day to a faithful Creator, a God who created all things and who still reigns as Lord and Master of everything He has made. He sits on His throne in power and glory. He reigns over the circle of the earth. And He says, while we entrust our souls to Him and suffer, He says, let's keep doing good. Right? That's His last word on suffering. Keep doing good. Keep doing good. Keep doing good. Keep loving people. Keep blessing and cursing not. Keep returning evil with good. Keep preaching the gospel. Keep keep giving Him glory while we bear that name. That we glorify God in the name we bear. I don't know, you're getting raw, Robert, this morning. And I have wrestled with this, or I've wrestled with this passage in this whole book, and who I am as an American, a red-blooded American in the midst of a world that we live in. But I, you know what? I want to be a red-blooded Jesus person, gospel person, Bible person. And I want to speak into a lost and more every day so American culture. And I need to, we need to humble ourselves from all the noise that is out there. And sit at the feet of these men. Open your Bible and figure out what does it mean to represent, to glorify God in that name, in this time, in this place. I need His wisdom. Pray with me. Father in heaven, come near as we sit at Your feet and we listen to Your Word and from men who suffered and who and found joy, and found hope, and found grace, and who were gospel people, and who continued to do good, and who, who saw themselves so united with the suffering of Christ, and the calling that You have placed on us as Your people. What is that calling, Father? What does it look like to be Your people today? As we walk out these doors into a community grieving over suffering, pain, and loss, So many without hope and without You and without the Gospel in the world. Help us to raise a thankful, praising voice. Help us to raise the Gospel on our lips and to call people to Christ and to make Him attractive in the way that You indwell us and shape us in the image of Jesus who suffered deeply and godly. In His name we ask and we pray. Amen.